Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. It's that time of night, you can't stay uptight. So come and join the people and I'm feeling all right. Be run away. Yeah. When I hear that, I think the next thing we need Doug and Donna to record is this little Fisher Price song. Maybe you could be a purple monkey in a bubblegum tree and you could swing in the breeze. Then you could swing back to me. I'll tell you, my four month old daughter loves that song, loves it as much as a four month old can. As in, I think she just likes the fact that we like it. You know, it gives us a nice big smile when we're playing that little music in her Fisher Price kick and play or whatever that thing is. Uh, so nice. I would, I could, in my mind, envision Doug playing that on the keyboard and singing it kind of like he does the Van Morrison songs. It would just be a perfect fit. In a moment, we're going to go to Rich Rubino, and he's the author of American Politics on the Rocks. A lot to talk about when it comes to the electoral process and the electoral college objections that will be coming up here. We've seen a lot of this in the past. To me, maybe it's just because we haven't paid attention to it like we had in the past. We saw this in 2000 and 2004 and 2016 and da, 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 da. over and over and over again. There's been objections when the electoral count goes up when it's a close election. So he's going to give some examples of that, really what to expect instances where the vice president who had lost had to read results and how that went. I mean, Al Gore being a popular one back in 2000. So what exactly is going to happen here? We'll let Richard Mino bring it up. And I think that'll be good. I wanted to do this again. And this is something that I saw earlier. And I know that one of the strange things in life is reporting someone's death prematurely. And it happens 
to news agencies, I wouldn't say all the time, but it's not incredibly rare where they get something wrong and have to issue a correction after the fact. And Tanya Roberts was an actress known for her time on Charlie's Angels and uh, as a Bond girl and then later in the 90s on that 70s show. So pretty popular actress, mostly retired now. There are reports that she collapsed after walking her dog and her publicist said she died. Well, that's not actually the case. As it turns out, later we find out that, no, uh, she did not die. TMZ reporting that Tanya's rep and her domestic partner were at the hospital when they saw Tanya's eyes close. And for some reason, they thought she was dead and that they just left devastated. Well, she's actually not dead. Isn't that something? So uh, the miscommunication, not understanding this, you would think that you'd be able to tell the difference. Maybe they just can't. I don't know. It's strange. Well, as it turns out, as of right now, she's alive. Uh, I think still in critical condition. Agencies had to walk back what the publicist told them. But one of the more weirder parts of this is that Inside Edition was actually interviewing Lance, her domestic partner. When Lance was giving this interview to Inside Edition, he gets the phone call. Mystery surrounds the medical condition of Charlie's Angels actress Tanya Roberts, who was reported to have died yesterday and then today was said to be alive. Tanya suddenly collapsed on Christmas Eve after walking her two dogs. Newspapers across the nation today carried reports of her death. And I was interviewing her longtime boyfriend Lance O'Brien when the shocking, almost impossible to believe news came in that Tanya was alive. Now you're telling me that, that she's alive? Oh, thank the Lord. Thank God. He says Tanya did not have COVID, but was placed on a ventilator because she was struggling to breathe. Oh, wow. Bet you getting that call. Not dead. Whoa, that's a shock. Well, he's given an interview when this happens. And I think, I don't know, maybe he's just embarrassed because from what we read, he might have been there to... Uh, witness what he thought was her passing away but wow what a strange occurrence he says due to COVID-19 protocol he was not allowed to be at her hospital bed at Cedar sinai Medical Center to comfort her until what he thought were her final hours yesterday what just happened Lance what was what was that the hospitals told me she's alive and they're, they're calling me from the ICU team. So the hospital just called you right now and told you that Tanya is still alive? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy. Wow. What a phone call to get live on an interview. Isn't that something? Wow. That's really amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, I, I wanted to play this real quick. Uh, how about this? What an amazing turnaround here. Producer Mike, if you can help me for a second with these clips. <laughs> I'm here. Okay. I just want to make sure we get this right. So right now, some tournament hockey is going on. It's the World Juniors, you said? Yeah. The International Ice Hockey Federation hosts the World Junior Championships every year. Uh, and the semifinals were tonight in Edmonton. Okay. And this is between Finland and the United States. Correct. Okay. Canada it won earlier, uh, and we were in the later semifinal that just wrapped up. Okay, so who won the game with Canada? Canada beat Russia five to nothing, I believe. Okay, so the United States in this game was taken on Finland. It was tied at three, 
coming towards the end of the third, thinking overtime. Can you play the clip of what happened at the end of the, the third there? Sure. Here we go. Now taken out by Turcott. He has Kaliev to his right. Turcott to Zegris. Zegris to the back end. Finds Kaliev, but it bounces over his stick. Now Turcott again. Kaliev wants it. Has it. Shoots. He scores. He scores. An Arnie party late in the third. It's 4-3. USA, 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 USA. So we're getting right at the end of the game, and USA goes up four to three, but the game's not over yet. What happens at the very end? Let's take a listen. Ben's win the draw, but can't keep the zone. Ten seconds. They come back, thrown at night. He steers it aside. Three seconds, two and one. The United States will play for gold. USA, USA. See, I wanted to leave the impression that something different could have happened at the end. But no, USA wins. They're going to play for gold against Canada on Wednesday. Is that right? Ooh, exciting. Looking forward to that one. Go USA in the Junior World Championships there. Super cool. Looking uh, forward to that. So that just game wrapped up here in the last, what, half hour. So cool to see that. Uh, producer Mike, thank you for grabbing those clips. It's good to hear that great breaking news here on Overnight America. We might be the first to broadcast that here. So cool. All right, when we come back, Rich Rubino's joining us, and he's gonna, he's going to talk about the process of what we're going to see on Wednesday with Vice President Pence going through all the states, the objections. That's up next on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. And Overnight America continues. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I've been waiting for a while. It's been a couple of weeks since I've spoken to Rich Rabino, American Politics on the Rocks. That's the name of his book, Polita-Geek.com. How are you, Rich? I'm doing well, Ryan. Uh, very tumultuous times, but I'm doing well. <laughs> it has been. What a week indeed. <laughs> what a week. So, Like I mentioned uh, in the past, it seems like we've used this phrase many times. Oh, this has got to be an exciting week for you. But like, really, this week is probably a week that you can't really uh, take your eyes off of the news because there seems to be a lot of history going down this week. But it's not that it's uh, very rare. We have seen in the past objections during this process. What I'm kind of hoping you can do is talk about what's going to be happening in a few days when the uh, Electoral College votes come up. Vice President stands up there asking for objections. Tell me about this process. Okay, it's one of the few times where you actually have a joint session of both houses of Congress. Usually, so in other words, the, the House and the Senate are in the same chamber. Usually you see this when the President delivers the State of the Union or when a dignitary is speaking. That's essentially the only times you have that. But this is actually constitutionally, um, constitutionally what has to happen is essentially the state is essentially the, the state's results are read. So, for example, you know, they'll say Arkansas delivers their six electoral votes for, you know, that'll be Donald Trump and there'll be no objection. So they'll go on to the next state. Nancy Pelosi stands up there, sits up there as the as essentially the Speaker of the House and Mike Pence is up there because his constitutional role is actually the president of the United States Senate. He's actually paid not by the executive branch, but as a part of the legislative branch. Of course, he only votes actually in the cases of a tie. Usually he's not up there. Usually the president pro tem. 
um, the Constitution sits, or sits up there or one of his designees. Usually it's a freshman member who, you know, sits up in the, in the Senate and says, you know, I, I now recognize the gentleman from Wyoming, the gentleman from Louisiana. So this is one of the few times the vice president is actually doing his constitutional role of sitting up there. So what happens is a House member, once it gets to one of the contested states, Mo Brooks, the congressman from Alabama, is, is going to be leading about 30 members of the House, and he's going to object to the results of about four or five, about five different states that are contested, Arizona certainly um, being one, Georgia certainly being another. So then Mike Pence says, okay, is the, does the objection in writing, does it, have the, does it have the approval of a House member and a senator? If it doesn't have a member, have approval of anybody in the United States Senate, then he just says, essentially, he says, well, I, I don't accept your objection because constitutionally you have to have both, and he moves on um, to the next. And this is actually part of the Electoral uh, Vote Act of 1887, which basically kind of codifies the way that this process works. Mm-hmm. So in 2000, in 2000, for example, um, there were many, there were some Congress people, Stephanie Tubbs Jones of Ohio got up there, Cynthia McKinney of uh, of Georgia got up there, Maxine Waters of California, and they said we have objections, and Al Gore was in the kind of unceremonious position of having to of having to gavel down the objections because there was no senator who agreed. 2004, there was a dispute about Ohio, so Stephanie Tubbs Jones of the state of Ohio um, objected, and she persuaded a senator, Barbara Boxer, the, the senator from California, to agree that there should be an objection. So they actually got the objection. So what happens is basically both chambers recess for about two hours. They debate this. They debate the merits of the objection. In this case. Only literally only one senator, Barbara Boxer, agreed to the objections. They came back, and the obje- and the objections was not um, agreed to. So they essentially moved on. So Barbara Boxer, you know, the the, Dem- the leadership of the Senate didn't want her to do that, and the Democrats and the, the Democratic Senate did not. Wa- the Democrats they were a minority, but in the Democrats in the Senate did not want her to object, but she still objected. So what's going to happen this time around? There's going to be objections. The House member, then the Senate, and then they're going to have that two-hour recess. Obviously, since the House um, is controlled by the Democrats. And since um, since uh, since mo- a lot of Republicans, even in the House and the Senate, agree with the Democrats that they should not be an objection, what's going to happen is it's going to come back, and they're going to say essentially they're going to they're going to vote on it, and they're going to say that essentially the objection was not withstood. So essentially, Mike Pence is going to have to um, be in that awkward position of declaring the loss of his own um, of Donald Trump and Mike Pence, unless something you know something um, cataclysm happens between now and Wednesday. Wow. Okay. So that is the process. So basically every objection to an individual state could result in a two hour recess if there's a senator associated with it. So there's multiple states that are looks like could be contended or at least uh, debated. So how long could this process actually last? (laughs) It could last. It could last a while. The interesting thing is, I mean, I think even the senators themselves, Josh Hawley, obviously from Missouri, is kind of the um, is kind of the ringleader in this. Um, you have other Republicans, Ted Cruz, for example. Um, you know uh, James Lansford from from Oklahoma. You have uh, 12 Republicans so far who have agreed to sign on. But I think they all pretty much know that this is essentially going nowhere. It's more or less to try to send a message. Um, and I think that everyone kind of knows that. So it could take it could take a long time for the objections to actually to actually happen. But at the end of the day, um, you know, barring barring some extraneous circumstance, which has about a you know, quarter of a quarter of one percent. Um, Donald Trump will not be elected president. Mike Pence will have to stand up there and say that I now dictate that essentially that uh, Joe Biden won the election. 
Yes, that's I think even Josh Hawley on Fox yeah. News gave an interview to Brett Baer just recently. I saw him trending on social media, mentioning that even Josh Hawley uh, said that, no, we're not anticipating any changes in the sense we don't think Donald Trump is uh, going to be the, a, a second term. It's just, again, I, I think a lot of times people just want to air their grievances. And this is going to be the venue that they're able to do that, kind of like they've done in the past. And it's funny because. As much as I pay attention to these things, I've never once actually watched this process. This is something that's always gone under the radar for me. And I think a lot of other people are just learning about this process for the first time. Well, it's interesting because usually, I mean, this is a pretty pro forma um, exercise. Last time around, there were objections, but there were no senators who agreed. So you had Joe Biden essentially standing up and say, do you have, has a senator agreed? The House member said no. And so Joe Biden says, you know, it's over. So usually it's, it's usually just kind of ceremonial. There have been some instances, that, by the way, where you had a vice president, this is really interesting, who actually ran for president, was a nominee of his party, lost, and had to declare himself the loser. Um, yeah, Richard like Nixon, Al Gore. <laughs> oh, he was one of them, yeah. He was one yeah. in 2000. Richard Nixon, very close election, about 113,000 votes either way could have, could have changed. Richard Nixon, the vice president who lost, some people think that he actually won that election because of they thought that the Kennedy machine had um, had manipulated the votes in Cook County. He had to get up there and say John F. Kennedy was the winner. Now, interestingly, in 1968, another close election, Vice President Hubert Humphrey, who lost in a photo finish to Republican Richard Nixon, so he's the president of the Senate. He did not actually preside. What he did is he was – so there was a – in Oslo, Norway at the time, there was, the, um, there was a funeral for the first elected uh, secretary general of the U.N., so he was attending that. Uh, conveniently, you know, he could have presided. Um, so what happened at that time is he did not have to have that unceremonious role. What happens is the president pro tem of the Senate, that's actually fourth in line to the presidency. And that's the person who essentially has the ceremony of role of leading the Senate when the vice president is not there. They say they usually give that up. They usually then delegate it to other members. But Richard Russell from Georgia was actually up there, and he was actually the one who was reading the um, results rather than, uh, I mean, who was rather accepting the results rather than Vice President Hubert Humphrey. And, of course, in 2000, you had the instance of Al Gore having to go up there and having to say that, um, you know, at one point he said, um, he said, I think it was Maxine Waters up there and said, well, I don't have a senator. And then, then, then for the vice president says, well, the rules do care. And then everyone was kind of <laughs> laughing. Meanwhile, while he's objecting, while he's ruling her down, he's saying, thank you, thank you. Um, with his um, with his heart while ruling the exact opposite way. It was just an absolutely just fascinating uh, phenomenon. Watching that in the eyes, you can see it. The yes. uh, oh, yeah, you, you can definitely see it in the eyes. Well, is the whole process of objecting when someone stands up and says, I object. Is that something that is not uncommon? I mean, pretty much every presidential year, is there some sort of objection that goes nowhere? Or is this kind of just a a modern thing where, you know, since 2000, you start to see it more often? Usually it happens when there's a close election. Uh, 2008, for example, was not a close election. So as a result, there was no, you know, no member of the Republican Party was willing to go up and say that, you know, John McCain, you know, won a certain state that was close, for example. So, um, usually you see it when it's a very close election. You've seen little instances. For example, there was an electoral vote in North Carolina that was supposed to go to Richard Nixon that landed up going for Alabama Governor George Wallace, who was running on the American Independence Party. So there was an objection to that electoral vote. Um, so, you know, there are kind of minor things that happen. But generally speaking, you don't see these objections. Certainly, if it is a close election, you do see the objections, but they're usually the most vociferous members of the party that lost. Very rarely do you see people kind of centrist getting up there. Usually the people in the center 
center left, center right are usually the ones who kind of the establishment members usually say it's over, but they're always kind of people in the fringes. Usually lots of times it's for domestic consumption. They're trying to placate their own bases. They're trying to fend off potential primary challenges. They see I was with my nominee, you know, from the absolute beginning, but very rarely does it actually go anywhere. You know what this kind of reminds me of? So if you've been in a meeting and it's going to be an hour-long meeting and it gets towards the end and you're looking at the clock and you're ready to just do the rest of your work for the day and it's at the very end and whoever's holding the meeting says, does anyone have any questions? And then like eight people raise their hand and you're thinking, oh, we're going to be here all day. Uh, so when it comes to this whole process, are they obligated to stay there for the entire time and before they before they certify all of this or could they break for the day and come back the next day? That's a good question. I guess theoretically, I guess that they could break. I mean, it's supposed to be done on January 6th. I know individual members, certainly you can't force a member to actually be on the House or Senate floor. Um, you have the situation now where some members, for example, who've been, restri who've been restricted because of COVID are kind of voting proxy, that type of thing. And you certainly could have members that just decide, you know, the House and the Senate are interesting because you can assent, You don't really have to be on this floor. You don't have to actually show up for work. That's why you can see presidential candidates spending two years running for president, never showing up. Um, so it's kind of voluntary <laughs> if you actually do your job. But um, you know, obviously, they'd be worried if they did. If they did, kind of a House member or a Senate member did walk out in terms of you know local media picking that up and saying, "Why were you there?" But uh, my guess is that everyone essentially would want to actually be there for the historic moment. They don't want to be embarrassed as being one of the few members who's not there. Um, although, you know, certainly if they wanted to go home and hold a fundraiser instead, they certainly have the liberty <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and oftentimes they, they do hold a lot of fundraisers when they should be um, actually in the chamber. <laughs> yeah, calling in interviews, I'm sure some of the TV networks may have some live hits scheduled <laughs> while these uh, <laughs> processes are going down. You know, it, as it's happening, it's almost like um, like in racing or whatever, when they pull someone off to the side and like they're getting their car worked on and the actual racer is talking to someone in the media or, you know, between the glass and hockey. So, uh, Rich, do you mind holding on? I'd like to talk to you more about this process. And yep. I'm still trying to get an idea of uh, the rarity of this because, I think a lot of people get the impression that, oh, this is such a unique thing that's going on. But it's good to point out that, yes, this has happened many times in the past where people have had objections. And I want to talk a little bit more about uh, 1887, that Electoral Count Act, and, okay. and maybe um, why it's in place and, and how that's been looked at, if there's any differences over the years with that. So let's do that after the break. We'll take a look at your weather. Polita-geek.com is where you can find Rich Rubino online in his book, American Politics on the Rocks. Soon, his latest book. I can't wait to learn more about that coming up. It's Overnight America KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Flitta-geek.com, where you can find Richard Bino, some links to his work, and also his latest book, American Politics on the Rocks. How is your book that you're working on? How's that going, Rich? Uh, it's going well. It's going to be uh, very long. It's going to be essentially it's political trivia, pretty much everything going back from the founding of the Republic to contemporaneous times in it should be over 400 pages right now. I've um, pretty much done the substance of it, so it's pretty much just the uh, just the uh, editing process, which can be quite assiduous. Wow, 400 pages. That's a big one. Uh, Very big going, font, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're cheating like in high school when you have to put a paper together, so you're adding the margins a little bit, you know, you try to pad it out a little bit more to, to get to that threshold that the teacher wanted. Yes, absolutely. I actually remember doing the opposite one time. There was one professor that wanted um, in college that wanted everything to be done in a certain. T- it had to be three pages, a, pa- a paper, something like that. But it all had to be done, and it couldn't go any further than the margin. So I remember I actually got legal paper and put it on legal paper. So it became the uh, Rubina rule that you were able allowed to do that if you wanted to put it on a bigger paper instead. I kind of, um, I guess, I kind of circumvented the system there. Mm, I like it. So with this, uh, what's going to be happening this week? We know that there's going to be some objections. We know that there are senators that will sign off on it as well. I wanted to kind of ask you about when all of this is said and done and all the objections are heard and it doesn't go anywhere. So what exactly happens at that point? Pence is going to stand up. He's going to say, all right, uh, we've gone through all the states. We've counted all the electoral votes. Here's the final count. He, uh, what does he say at that point? And then there's no turning back. Is that how it works? Pretty much. Um, unless, you know, I mean, um, as I say, there's always, this, if there's some sort of extraneous circumstances, something happens between now and Wednesday, you know, some cataclysmic event, but I don't see that happening. Essentially, that's what's going to happen. And then it's all a matter of the political fallout. Um, senators like Josh Hawley, for example, are certainly going to benefit from a lot of Trump supporters. If Trump does not run in 2024, a lot of people will say, you know, he was loyal to us and we're potentially going to stay loyal to him. If he runs, Ted Cruz also. If Ted Cruz chooses to run in 2024, if Garcia does, he's also up for re-election in the Senate. So he's got to kind of, um, you know, decide what he wants to do. But he's another one. Um, someone like Tom Cotton in Arkansas who's considering running in 2024, who said that he believes the state should have essentially plenary authority over the electoral votes, is not going to object. That could potentially hurt him with Trump Trump supporters. So it's kind of the political fallout more than anything else. And then you have folks like John Thune, the number two man in the, United, in the Republican Party, the Republican whip, who has come out against this 
And Donald Trump is now saying that there should be a primary challenge for him in 2022 in South Dakota and calling him Mitch's boy so it could potentially disbenefit him. So it just it, this is all really about politics. I think no um, nobody really no one no rational person actually believes that this is going to somehow transmogrify the whole the whole uh, election. And I just go back to the whole idea of the Seinfeld Festivus, which is airing out your grievances. <laughs> and that's I yeah, that's think really weird you said that because John Thune's favorite television show is actually Seinfeld. <laughs> I um. <laughs> I, I wonder this, too, and maybe you can kind of help me when it comes to the political atmosphere around this time. And since there have been many examples of when someone stood up and said, I object because of this estate, a lot of times there's no senator that'll sign on with it. Sometimes yep. there is. However, I don't remember a time where so many people were upset that there was going to be objections. So if you go back and look at some of the previous years where this has happened, is there always this much animosity for the congressmen that are going to stand up and air some of these grievances? Or is this something that you're not used to seeing? Not to this extent. In 2000, um, pretty much every member that objected were, um, people were from extremely safe Democratic districts. I think the Democratic leadership knew that they were going to get up there and then the day was going to be over. I think they knew themselves that they were just going to get up there and try to make objections. In 2004, there was a lot of backlash against Barbara Boxer because she had said that she objected to not, because, to not um, agreeing to be that senator, who, that senator who objected in 2000. So in 2004, Stephanie Tubbs-Jones essentially persuaded her to object. I think the Democratic leadership, there was certain animosity that just wanted to kind of have the election over with. But she didn't. She, her, her goal, by the way, she says in the aftermath, was not to actually change the election, but to put a spotlight on voting irregularities in Ohio so the next day people would be talking about it. But um, they're really, I mean, this time around, it's actually kind of similar to those elections because if you look at every member, of the, every solitary member of the House that's objecting and every member of the Senate that's objecting, with one exception, are from safe states or safe districts. And the one obje- the one obje- the one extent the one exception this time around is probably Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, which is a swing state that actually went to uh, Biden this time around. So he's kind of the one um, aberration or anomaly in the process. So when they go into this debate for two hours, how is that structured? Um, really, is it behind closed doors, or are you going to be able to watch it on C-SPAN? I believe it's going to be behind closed doors. I don't know. Okay. I think so. Not a whole lot that could be done there. So it's like a private TED Talk. <laughs> yes, like yes, that. absolutely. <laughs> All right, so this was put into place, what, 1887. Uh, do you know the history of why this was? Yeah. it's done the way it is? So the Constitution is very ambiguous about basically what happened. If you go back to the Constitutional Convention, 1787, they couldn't agree on how to award electoral votes. So all they said was essentially each state shall appoint in such a manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. And that's all that the United States Constitution says. The Electoral College wasn't even codified until an 1845 act. So essentially, the states have plenary authority to award their electoral votes any way they choose. Go back to the first election, only three states actually awarded their electoral votes to whoever won the state. Some of them had state legislatures, for example, deciding who was going to choose the um, elector. Eventually, the Democratic-Republican Party, which controlled, a lot, which controlled the states and controlled the presidency, wanted to maximize um, their votes at the presidential level. So in a lot of the states, they decided that they would award all their electoral votes to whoever wins the national popular vote. 
Currently, Nebraska and Maine do it differently, which is constitutionally permissible. They award, they're elect, they award two electoral votes to whoever wins the state, and then the rest of the electoral votes are awarded to whoever wins a congressional district. So this past time around, the, in Nebraska, the, the congressional district right around Lincoln and Omaha, which had a lot of college students, actually voted for Joe Biden, in, whereas the state of Nebraska itself overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump in Maine. The one congressional district that goes from Aroostook County, the farthest northern reaches of the state, down to the very bottom, it's actually the largest congressional district east of the Mississippi, went for uh, Donald Trump, whereas the other congressional district went for Joe Biden. So in 1876, there was a disputed election. Ohio Governor Rutherford B. Hayes uh, won an electoral college, literally 184-5 to 184 over Samuel Tilden, the governor of New York. Tilden actually not only won the popular vote, but actually not only won a plurality, but won a majority of the, um, had actually won a majority of the vote that year. Um, so he basically won the majority, but did not have to actually assume the office. So because of that disputed election, there was some talk about how do we codify some sort of a system. So by 1887, they codified a system that says that what has, essentially has to happen is there has to be a joint session of Congress, and, this, and the vice president has to stand up there, and the vice president or the speaker pro tem in his absence could supplant him, has to stand up there, and whoever the president of the Senate is, and has to, to say, you know, who, the, who, who won the electoral votes, and they also have a, have a provision in there that if there wants to be an objection, then essentially there can be objections, and you can overrule the objection of the vice president, but that essentially does not happen. And there it is. Uh, essentially, the last official thing Mike Pence will do. Is there anything after that the vice president is involved in? Uh, I mean, I guess theoretically, um, he's still vice president. He still is the president of the Senate. If there is to be a tie vote, I don't see this oh, happening, yeah. but between now and January 20th, he could actually show up. He actually did his constitutional duty yesterday where he um, provide, he presided over the uh, swearing-in of new senators. And then you see him, he does the kind of the ceremonial one where each senator comes, usually with their family. They, they, um, they, they're sworn in by him, so he's done that. So, you know, essentially it's just a matter of if he wants to actually show up for a tie-breaking vote. He doesn't have to do that either, by the way. Theoretically, if he doesn't, he could not, he could not show up and just let it stand. But he's, a, he's essentially, um, and I guess the other thing is, you know, he is still, um, he still does receive, you know, intelligence briefings um, in case something were to happen for the president between now and January 20th. And I guess it would be an interesting question to see if he actually shows up the inaugural. I'm assuming he will. Yeah, I noticed that with proper social distancing and masks, there's a lot less sniffing that went on this time around. Just, just a <laughs> poor joke. But okay, so afterwards, what happens to vice presidents for the most part? They, do they just kind of like go off into the sunset, or have some of them done some interesting things in the future? If it's not political, so I know some may run for office again in the future. But you know, what about the ones that decided to get out of politics? Yeah, most of them stay in politics. Dan Quayle actually, my guess would be the in, an interesting one. So. And two, so he wrote his memoir after he after he lost in 1992. Him, his, his George H. W. Bush and himself lost. Another Indiana he, one, yeah. Yes, he considered running for governor of Indiana, did not do it. Considered running for for president in '96, in part because Dick Luger had already taken a lot. The other said the senator from Indiana had taken a lot of the money from Indi, had taken a lot of donors from Indiana. He chose not to. Then in 2000. He ran for president again. Um, he ran for president himself, never really made it all the way to Iowa, dropped out, and he's since gone into the financial, the financial services industry, um, I believe. So he's essentially works on equity, works on, you know, that type of stuff. Um, usually they stay, either stay in politics or they retire. Um, I will say that the, probably the most interesting example, 
back in 18, so when there was a panic in, in 1836, 1837, there was a panic, an economic depression. There were 25% employment in some places. So Richard, John, Richard Mentor Johnson, who was Martin Van Puren's vice president, had some financial issues himself. So this isn't after he retired, but this is while he was vice president. He actually took a leave of absence, went home to Kentucky to open up a tavern and spa. <laughs> for a seven-month right? period. That sounds like a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> he, literally, he, he literally did that, and it, he actually came back because, at Martin Van Buren's behest because um, there was a lot of criticism. They're saying, why is your vice president spending so much time working on his tavern in Spawn, Kentucky? It actually became very lucrative for him. That sounds like, oh man, it, it's almost like you take an actor from the 80s and they would put it on NBC. He was vice president of the United States. Now he owns a tavern in a bed and breakfast starring and then fill in the blank uh, D- Tom Selleck or you know something like that. <laughs> it would be a great movie. The, the, the fascinating part is he was actually in office at the time. So he actually was vice president. Oh, that's after, interesting. And then after he actually ran for office and he, he, got, he lost a couple of times. He actually ended up winning a seat in the Kentucky legislature, if you can believe it. A former vice president of the United States, a heartbeat away from the president, becomes a member of the Kentucky legislature. (laughs) (laughs) I love things like this. All right. So that's uh, where we stand now this week. It, it pretty much is the uh, the climax of it all. Well, not even that wouldn't really be it. It's kind of the end of it all. It's like when you're on a roller coaster and they got that one last little hill right before you know the train is about to get back into the platform and you're about to get off, and that's the end of it. Rich Rubino, polit-geek.com, and if people wanted to find you on social media, where are the good places? Yeah, I mean, go to Facebook and type in Rich, last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, or just go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L. His current book, American Politics on the Rocks, and his new one, which is, I'm so excited. Uh, every time we're going to do this, i got to get an update on it because 400 pages, I learned something new. There's a lot of political trivia out there. You have it all memorized, which is impressive. And on top of that, um, I always enjoy your insights into the history, things that have happened in the past, putting things into context. Thank you so much, Rich, for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. And Richard Bino joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. That'll uh, about do it for Overnight America. We're getting pretty close to the end. We'll be back again tomorrow. We know it's going to be a big one tomorrow with the Georgia runoff election. And when that goes down polls close six o'clock central seven o'clock eastern and after that we'll just kind of wait and see see if the republicans could keep the senate or if they will lose it um it's a close one could be an interesting night just don't know how that one's going to go no one really could tell the way it's going to go only a few things i want to get to before the end of the night um let me do this real quick and I put this out before. Do I need to play this? Probably not. Let me do this instead. I, I was looking at some articles. People have been just wondering what's going to happen if there's going to be more individual stimulus payments. And everyone's like looking online and they're saying, okay, there was that little fire that started a debate towards the end of the last Congress that really didn't go anywhere. 
you started to look at all of this wasteful spending that was included inside of the last package when they tried to up it to two grand per person. And on top of that, you look at the other things like, well, we're going to up the threshold of who can get this payment, including people that, what was it quoted up to like 350 grand or 375 grand or whatever it was a year. And you can still find yourself qualifying for some of the stimulus money under the new qualifications they were trying to push. It's pretty ridiculous. Also, some of the digital issues that ran into it before when it came to some of the protections, it really has nothing to do with COVID, but still we're trying to tie into as in we need to at least have a debate on this if we're going to talk more. And none of this really meshed because both sides kind of wanted to get more out of it. So good for Mitch McConnell to kind of stand his ground and say, we're just not going to roll over on this. You got to kind of you got to talk to us on this just because you got this momentum that everyone wants. And then what ends up happening is that a lot of people end up getting harassed. Pelosi, McConnell, both getting harassed. Did I read a report that Josh Hawley's home was vandalized tonight? Let me look this up real quick. Um, Josh Hawley here. I just saw a breaking news story come through in a minute. All right, here it is. Josh Hawley says Antifa scumbags threatened his wife and newborn. Let me bring this up real quick. Newsweek's got uh, a write-up on this. This came out about a half hour ago. Josh Hawley, who announced in December that he would challenge the results of the Electoral College, said Monday that Antifa scumbags, that's in quotes, uh, frightened his family at their Washington, D.C. home. Um, says tonight, while I was in Missouri, Antifa scumbags came to our place in D.C. and threatened my wife and newborn daughter who can't travel. They screamed threats, vandalized, and tried to pound open our door. Let me be clear. My family and I will not be intimidated by left-wing violence. What lousy, lousy, lousy people for Antifa and the protesters or whatever showing up at people's homes and doing things like that. Um. Honestly, they did it to Tucker Carlson in D.C. and they did different things. Mitch McConnell, you saw most recently, I think even the first one was with um, uh, Pelosi or whatever. Honestly, it's amazing. Someone hasn't got shot showing up to people's homes and doing things like this and threatening them. It really is amazing. There hasn't been more people that got hurt trying to pull this these stunts like this. So I hope that this sort of thing ends. I hope that this stops. I hope that this isn't just a sign of things to come where people are just going to pop into people's homes and start this sort of garbage. And it's unfortunate that we've seen it over and over again. If you remember what happened to Rand Paul, his neighbor goes crazy on him. This is just a crazy time anymore. Well, join me on Facebook, Ryan Wrecker Radio. That's where you can get me on there, at Ryan Wrecker on Twitter. I'd love it if we connected on Facebook. If you were to go give me a like, it would mean a lot to me, mostly because it gives me the opportunity to connect with you that way, too. Just search for Ryan Wrecker Radio. You can download the podcast for Overnight America anywhere you find podcasts at. Uh, I think this is going to be a big year for the podcast. We had a good one in 2020. Let's hope 2021 is even better, starting the year off right. We'll be back again uh, Monday night, well, Tuesday night now at 8 o'clock. Enjoy the rest of your overnight and enjoy the replay hours coming up next. We'll see you. My heart beats with the lonely rain. Wishing I could see your face again. Change the dial on the radio. Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow. If things were only like they used to be, we'd be lying.
renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.